Matthew 2, 1 through 18. And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his side when it rose, and when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Then Herod the king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them whether Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Sorry. Thank you. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come to and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had been seeing when it rose before them, until they came to the rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. Then opening the treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child, and with his mother by night departed for Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had been spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he, had, when, he had, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years older or under. According to the time that he had attained from the wise men, that was, that was fulfilled when he was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, we ask that you would teach us. Open up our hearts and minds to see who you are. We need you to be our treasure. We need you to be the one who guides us. We need you to be the one we trust, even when we don't understand what you're doing. Help us. We ask, bless us with understanding, and we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.
I picked, uh, I, picked, I picked this text because many years ago I was reminded by this text, by, just by this poem here. And also uh, last week when we had celebrated Christmas, we don't read the last part. We don't read that part where the children, well, not the children, but the children are killed. It's not directly in the story, it's a little bit after the story, so maybe we can excuse it that way. But also, the killing of children really maybe never fits in. But just like the poem we, we just heard, it brings our attention to the people that have suffered loss, sickness, pain, and even ourselves when we're asking God why. When we look at a world that is broken and we're lamenting the state of the world, we might be saying, what is happening? Well, we're reminded that Jesus came in this time. But we're also looking at a world that is still not right. We're looking at all the things why Jesus came. So at Christmas time, it's been a time where we as a church and a church as a culture, we look at the, at the marvel that is that incarnation, that God came into the world, that mystery, the majesty, the humility of the coming Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. But we're just reminded in this story of why Jesus came. He came to confront the evil and the things that destroy what God has created. <coughs> but let's just start to look at the people in the story. Let's go look at the wise men and we're going to look at Herod. So the wise men, if we are being totally honest, we really don't know hardly anything about the wise men. We don't know how many they were, we don't really know where they came from, whether they came from the east. There's all sorts of good stories about where they could be from and the tradition who made them come from three different regions and all this thing and we've given them names and stuff. We really don't know. The only thing we know is what the word means, which I don't, but I listen to somebody. It means people who, uh, magi means people who study the stars. That's all kind of all we know, really know about what they are. Some good guesses could be, oh, maybe they're from Babylon, maybe, maybe from Daniel, they knew about the prophecies. We don't really know. What we do know about the wise men is that they are, pas they are passionate. They spend time looking for the fulfillment of God's prophecies. They trusted God and His promises. They were seeking, they were longing for the birth of the king of the Jews. They end up traveling a really long way. They invest in the gifts as well. We can see that they're not about their own king. They're about the king that's coming. And their passion is to worship him and to give to him. In a commentary I was reading, uh, 
they contrast this with the Jews and also Herod. They say, uh, when they come and talk to Herod, and he's asking where the Son of God, or where the Messiah is supposed to be born, it's five miles away. The wise men have been traveling for years. Five miles away. He, put it, he puts it this way. They were five miles away from the very Son of God, yet they did not go and see Him. The Gentiles saw Him and fought Him, but the Jews didn't. So we have these people traveling really far. And then we have these people that are just like seven, seven eight kilometers away, and they're like, no, we, we don't have time to go look at, the, look at that. So the wise men, passionate about God, passionate to see the king that was coming, spent a lot of time traveling. It wasn't, and traveling wasn't like today. They were probably on camels or something, traveling for a really long time. It took a lot of energy, a lot of money um, to travel that far. They were excited. They're excited and filled with joy. And they fell down and worshiped Jesus. Now we can contrast them with Herod. What happens to Herod? Well, Herod is not super excited that there's going to be a different king. <laughs> he is troubled because he has spent his whole life defending his kingdom. As I was, as I was studying King Herod, he is actually not evil, and, and the conservatives had this against him. He's not of the right line. He is uh, called an Edulamanian, a descendant of Esau. So he's not even allowed to be the king at this point in time. But, but when I was reading about him, and I was reading about um, yeah, what he did and all sorts of things, he was actually, this is going to sound controversial, but he was actually pretty successful in what he did. He uh, fought many civil wars, he weeded out all his competition. How do you weed out your competition? Well, you kill them. Uh, so in the eyes of the world, he was actually a pretty successful king. Um, he had some, he had some, uh, he had some skills in diplomacy. Uh, he wasn't always, they might not have always been the best friends, but Augustus, the emperor, he has an okay working relationship with the Roman Emperor. Then he has some trouble with the, the queen next to, uh, to, the, to the west of him, uh, Cleopatra, until she dies. He has some uh, problems with her because she wants to fight. But he's actually, to some extent, pretty successful. And so, it's not that I grew in sympathy with Herod. But I think I grew an understanding of why he is like he is. But I would like to <laughs> I would like to read this quote from you, which allegedly the Emperor Augustus has said. That it was better to be Herod's Herod's sow, like a female pig, than his son. For his sow had a better chance of su surviving in the Jewish community than his son. I don't know if that's just emperor humor, but it's not really just. Because Herod did kill a lot of his own sons. 
to be fair, one of his sons also tried to kill him, uh, but then killed another one because he drank the poison instead of him. Um, Herod also had nine wives, or was married nine different times. Like some of the English kings, they also lost their lives at different points in time. So looking from a worldly perspective, Herod is really not that different. Maybe a little more ruthless, maybe a little more more paranoid. Am I out of power? I am low in battery. I'll just switch to this one. So as King Herod as a historical figure is not necessarily the worst person that ever lived, but he was ruthless in defending what he believed should be his kingdom. And so when the, when the right wise men show up, it's at the very end of uh, Herod's life. He is either sick now or he is getting sick very soon. But all of Herod's life was about defending the throne, defending his own kingdom. So even in, even in the text we see, uh, he didn't really like what he heard. But then also, he also, and what is crazy is that Herod and the chief priest, they, they associate this king with the Messiah. And Herod is going to like, I'm planning to kill the Messiah. I'm going to find out what time he was born. I'm going to find out where he is. I'm going to kill him. That's pretty bold of anyone. But maybe that's what it looks like when you will defend your kingdom no matter what. When the wise men return and and or when the wise men don't return, and then Harold finds out that he that that he has uh, that they, they have cheated him, he gets really mad. And as I've told you about Herod, there's no conscious there's no conscience that bothers him. It doesn't matter if one person or twenty die. So he orders he makes the orders and makes sure that everyone two years or younger is killed in Bethlehem. As my people and scholars say, it's probably not a lot of children. It's probably around 12, 20. It's still 20 more than it had to be. <clears throat> and then you might be sitting there and saying, well, what does that have to do with anything about today? Well, that's a good question. I think this account brings up the brokenness of the world. Herod, he, Herod longed to kill the true king of the Jews. When God acts, his adversary Satan also acts. 
and trying to pervert God's plan. This doesn't mean that Herod doesn't have any, any. Um, doesn't mean that Herod doesn't have any uh, plan in this. No, no, Herod is just selfish, and he acts after his own heart, and he kills anyone that will be in his way of his kingdom. I'm just reminded about this verse from Revelation. His tail swept down a third of the stars of the heaven and cast them down to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then we see the dragon getting mad, and if you continue to read, you see the the dragon getting mad, trying to kill everybody else. I think when we look at the incarnation of Jesus, when we look at what we celebrate as Christmas, a lot of times we're talking about peace on earth and goodwill to man. I really like the song that pointed out that's not how the world is. It's a mockery sometimes in the song. Because there's no peace at this point in time. How I how I have seen it for a while, and maybe as I'm just a little bit on the I don't know, I don't know, I think I'm crazy, but I've seen I see it as a little bit different. I see it in a in a human sense we see the peace coming. But I think in a, in a, or even in a spiritual sense, what we're seeing is we're seeing God invade the world again. Invading the world to reclaim the world. In my optics, it's more like what we see in the Second World War, and Lee was just there, on the beaches in Normandy. That is what Christmas is. It is God reclaiming the world. He's coming in. This is the beginning of the end. But the fight goes on at this point. The Satan's going to try to kill the Son of God. But that's why he came. That's why Jesus comes. He comes to free people from the sin, the shame, the influence of Satan. The Redeemer comes to set us free. But it's still to come. It's what we look forward to. It's the new heavens and new new earth. The curse being lifted. The question is, when we're confronted with these things that we can't explain, is that hope stronger than my doubt in why God didn't do anything? The ruling of Jesus, the hope of everything being made right, can that overcome my fear, my frustration, the loss I have, the heartbreaks we will have, the sickness that we experience? Or will we turn our back on the King and start living for our own kingdom? The question is, can we trust God when we don't understand what He does or what He doesn't do? So the number one question is, why did God not stop the killing of the children? 
I'm going to be like Jesus and just pose another question and not answer it. Why does Christian die daily today for their faith? I don't know. Why does this happen to me? All the questions you have, or you might have, or your friends have. Why did we lose this child? Why does this tragedy happen? When we're honest, we say, I don't know. But God knows. I believe this is the perfect time in our lives to run to God and not run away from Him. I believe God can bear all our questions, all our angry and frustration outbursts. Even when we are unreasonable, but we're honest about how we're feeling. Whether it's just calling out for help, whether it's just saying, God, I don't understand you. It seems like you're not being good. I'm sinking, help my unbelief. God, you need to take it all. As I reflecting on this, he probably even delights in that. That we bring our honest questions to him instead of running away or start accusing him of something he has never done. Vlad was even praying it in the beginning in his prayer. Sometimes we don't know what God uses to form us. We also have to reassess what is success? What is the goal? What is it that we are all living for? The prize is God himself. The other option is to rebel against God, run away from Him, slander Him, say, oh, God is not a good God because He didn't do this or this or this or this or this, or if God is good, He should do this and this and this and this. I just don't believe we see that anywhere in the Bible. I, I, I think Jesus rejects that notion when He talks about people dying on a tower falling on them and different things and saying, do you think these people are worse? Now the issue here is that our view of God is going to have a huge impact on this. If we have believed some kind of false gospel that I'll never be sick, I'll never be in trouble, and I'll always be rich, you will reject God when you get sick or you get poor. So spending time with God, spending time in community, Searching out who God is is a huge key to this. Because if you don't really trust who God is, or if you have a wrong view of who He is, you will reject Him. And there's no better thing to reject somebody than when you don't understand what they're doing. You even know that in the workplace. If somebody does something stupid, you're always like, why are they doing that? Or even in your marriage. Your wife or your husband does something really dumb, and you're like, what are you doing? When you don't know what somebody is doing, 
And if you don't believe they really have your best intention, then you're going to reject what they're doing. We're confronted with a key question. Can I trust God? Can I trust God when I don't, when He doesn't do what I want Him to do? Can I trust Him when I don't understand what is happening? It's a very, very convincing, convincing argument. We see in the we see in the incarnation God coming into this world, the depth of His love and pursuit of us. I believe we can trust God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the upright, unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to God that he may have compassion on them. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. Thoughts. For as the rain and the snow comes from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread and breast to the eater. So shall my word be, and it goes out of my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish which in purpose, and I shall succeed in the thing for which it sent us. She might know these verses very well. And I'm not just throwing them out there just to, oh, just be quiet, don't think about it. But is God telling us that we don't see everything the way he sees it? His view is way better than ours. So when we're confronted about these things, can I trust God? We, we have to think and recall who God is. Is He trustworthy? I say He is. Will you have pain in this world? Yes, you will. I just have one more verse that I would like to read. Um, I 
and it was just this uh, about how we can trust who God is. And just uh, Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ has been offered once to bear sins for the man who appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. So the first, the first time Jesus, he comes to save us from our sins. And now we live in a world that's totally broken. And we're all frustrated about that. I'm not saying there's not good things that are, but today we're talking about the bad things. There should also be a longing in us to see all those things being made right. A longing is that Jesus is going to come as a right, just, as a right, righteous judge. I can't say that. As a righteous judge and make everything right. And so whatever bad things, this has been my comfort for many, 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 Whatever evil you see today will never go unpunished. Even things none of us have seen, all things will be paid for, whether that will be on Jesus on the cross or his righteous judgment. That will happen. So even those children being killed, that will also be paid for. He doesn't have some of uh, our traditional question, our questions from the week. What is the goal of my life? Just an easy one for you. Am I more like Herod or the wise man? Is the incarnation, the coming of God into the world, only about peace? What do I do when I don't know why? Is Romans 8, 28 true? Can I trust God? I can. I can. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So basically, it's, it's whatever happens works for the good of God. For those who are called. Big question is can we trust God? And here I just steal the ending of most messages. Let us put our faith and trust in Jesus. Why? Because we know that He is trustworthy. He cannot lie. We, not, we might not understand what He does all the time, God. But we know he's faithful as the only one. He's the one who sees everything. He knows everything. He knows all. He can judge rightly. 
we see in this incarnation his love for us, we can trust God. That's my appeal to you guys. You can trust God. And how about we invite more people in to trust in God? That Jesus also came to save them from their sin, shame, pain, and guilt, and have new life in Him. Or we can have great joy in who He is, knowing that we're never alone, although everything stinks. Or everything might be great. But we're never alone, and He is with us. Just at the end of just as the end of Job, God never tells Job anything. He shows up and shows himself. And that's enough. I got it back in my mind now. There's this uh, guy from New York, he's called Tim Keller. He said something like, if you knew what God knows, you would pray. You has to be twisted my head. If you knew what God knew, you would answer the prayers the same way as God does. The time the thing is most of the time we don't know. But let, us, let us put our hope and faith in, in Jesus, in God, because He is trustworthy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I just really ask for all of us. Keep teaching us who you are, God. Keep teaching us that we can trust you and that we can hold on to you, that you're always there. Let us see how much you've already done and see how awesome and amazing you are. Let us not trust in our own way. Let us trust in your way. Even when we see the wicked prosper, even when we see pain, even when we see this brokenness of this world, Lord, I pray that all those things would motivate us into sharing who you are to us. That we'll do that one-on-one -on -one and we'll do that together. We'll really encourage one another further on with that. Why do I pray for all the people who have already rejected you? Maybe even people that are close to us because they just don't, they just don't believe who you are because they don't understand who you are. Why do I pray you give us words to speak your truth in your gospel to those people. Help us to do the one to one another's hearts as well. Encourage one another that you are trustworthy, you are strong, you are righteous. You're the one who's going to make everything right. And you've already shown us that in Jesus, that we can trust you. That we're never alone, that you're always there when we call out to you. Help us, Lord, to always pray to run to you. And Lord, I pray in all this that we will find great joy in obedience to you. Lord, I'm not asking that we would accept 
Lord, I'm asking that we accept that sin is okay. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us and spur us into action. That you died for those things. And people can be forgiven for that before you come back. But also we have great hope that you are coming back making everything right. Nothing is <coughs> out of your control. I pray you encourage us with all those things. And may we, even at this time, just praise your name higher for who you are. May you grow us, encourage us, send us to be lights in this world and in this time. And we ask in Jesus' name. You may stand for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May you go in peace downstairs and eat ham sandwiches. Amen.